Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. No list of things to be done. The day providential to itself. The hour. There is no later. This is later. All things of grace and beauty such that one holds them to one's heart have a common provenance in their pain, their birth in grief and ashes. So, he whispered to the sleeping boy, I have you. Cormac McCarthy, The Road. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, we're bringing back one of our favorite podcast series, Backlist Book Club. In today's episode, Hunter McClendon and I are discussing our final Pulitzer Prize winner of the year, The Road by Cormac McCarthy. If you're a regular listener, you probably know one of our main goals is to grow the show to 10,000 listeners. You've heard me say the spiel a million times. (laughs) We are getting so close. Really, truly, we are getting so close. And a lot of that is thanks to everyone who has left a review. We are already at nearly 900 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Here is one of my recent favorites from GenFlow76. Thoughtful book recs. Such thoughtful recommendations. I don't read exactly like the host, but she makes me want to hear all about the books. I love that she includes recommendations from others as well. The Currently Reading Group had a curated book selection suggested by Annie and her team, and one of those books turned out to be a book that will be in my all-time top 10. If you love books, this is a great podcast. Thank you, Jen. And also, I would love to know what book is going to be in your all-time top 10. Please share. I loved this review, in part because we loved our partnership with the Currently Reading Podcast earlier this year. If you missed it, you can still find our partnership book selections on the store website. You can just click under partnerships to the currently reading podcast. Thank you, Jen, again, for your thoughtful review. I'm thrilled you found new to you books through our show. If you have not left a review, all you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see write a review, and then tell us what you think. Now, back to the show. Hi, Hunter. Hello. Oh, My gosh, I am so excited to talk to you about this. I'm also thrilled we fit it in because we kind of were not sure we were going to do a backlist book club this late in the year. Yeah. And I I have so much to share. I can barely wipe this dumb little grin off my face because I'm so happy. (laughs) Honestly, I am so, so thrilled that you decided to do this because like, I do not know if I would have had this experience if it had not been in this moment now with you. It all just felt like, the world, everything, you know, coming together. It did. It felt serendipitous. So, okay. If you are new to Backlist Book Club, I do want to put in a plug because sometimes this happens with Kids Table where people skip the episodes because they think it's about kid lit. And Kids Table, as we have discussed, is just me and my cousin talking about like, I don't know, life. These Backlist Book Club episodes are fun. I think even if you have not read the book. Now, we try to be protective of spoilers, but also most of the books we're talking about are older. And so mm, I kind of feel like we all know what the road is about. So I'm not too worried about spoilers today. Yeah. 
But if you've never read The Road, how I think Backlist Book Club episodes can best be listened to is by thinking about the inspiration that they might provide for future reading. So maybe if you already read The Road, this episode will be enjoyable to you. But if you're like me and you had never read The Road and you're a little discouraged because you're like, I don't need to listen to this. I've never read The Road. Maybe listen to our conversation and I hope it might actually inspire you to pick up a backlist title. So that's kind of the inspiration behind Backlist Book Club. You don't have to listen to today's episode, but if you were hesitant, I wanted to to give you my elevator pitch on why Backlist Book Club episodes are fun to listen to. Speaking of which, this year, Hunter, you and I have tackled Pulitzer winners, Pulitzer mm-hmm. winners, however you want to word it. So we did, let me, I, I wrote down the episode numbers. What did we did? First, we did Beloved. Mm-hmm. Episode 368, you can go back and listen. We did Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, episode mm-hmm. 377. We did Less, episode 386. And now we are doing The Road. I want to talk to you toward the end of today's episode about Pulitzer winners versus like National Book Award versus Booker. But how have you felt about your reading experiences for Backlist Book Club this year? I think I've loved it because, as you know, I like my personal reading project this year has been tackling the National Book Award books. And Mm -hmm. while there is some crossover, it's been very interesting to kind of see the commonality with, because, you know, the National Book Award, what they're looking for is like the, just the best written books by an American writer. It doesn't have to be specific to the American experience, but with Pulitzer winners, like they're trying to find books that um, are preferably about the American experience. And so it's really interesting to see what was considered part of the American experience at the time of each of these being released. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. I, I appreciate you on top of your personal reading project, taking on this reading project, because I do think, I mean, it's a time commitment to read these Pulitzer titles. And in particular, I mean, for you, some of these have been rereads, but I think, have all of them been rereads for you? No, actually, uh, let me see. I, oh, I guess Pilgrim Atiko Creek was the one that I had not read. I'd read, I've read something else by her, but yeah. Okay. So anyway, I appreciate you kind of tackling this and adding this to your already filled to the brim reading life. Because for me, when I look back at those titles, and maybe it's because of the positive experience I've had with The Road, I just look back and I'm like, this. these were some of my favorite reading experiences this year. Like, mm-hmm. And maybe it's kind of the backlist of it all, like the hidden jewel. They're not even hidden jewels. They're Pulitzer winners for crying out loud. But my reading life is so so very much devoted to the new Mm -hmm. that one of the joys this year has been reading these older works. And I think because they're all Pulitzer winners, they've all been really good. (laughs) Right. That's the thing. And that's my, honestly, you know what? Like I, like, do I recognize that there are great books that are overlooked? Absolutely. But also Mm -hmm. it's very nice to kind of have a guarantee that they're going to be, even at their worst, they're going to still be pretty good. Right. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I learned in reading these this year. (laughs) Okay, would you like to, before we delve in maybe to the synopsis of The Road, talk to me about your personal reading experience with Cormac McCarthy and with this title in particular. Back in 2012, I had the, I said, I'm going to win the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. I'm going to write a novel about, you know, I have, I'm always, I've always been so ambitious. And so I was like, I'm, yeah, you know. And so I was, I decided to read all of the Pulitzer winners and when I, I, and so I, when I, let's see, around 19, I read The Road for the first time and I hated it. Okay. I thought, this is terrible. Who likes this? What, who's this for? Not me. <laughs> um, but I held on to it because I thought 
a part of me thought, well, maybe I'm being really harsh because I also hated the Devil Wears Prada. Um, <laughs> and I read them back to back. So like, I was just oh, like, that, maybe was, just, that is an interesting, <laughs> interesting which, pairing. Which I think just says a lot about like my reading in general. That reminds me of me, Station Eleven, and then the Royal We. Oh, yes. I remember that. Yes. (laughs) Because, yes. Which, isn't that what always happens? Like, you always end up, yeah. Well, so (laughs) I, but so then I I read The Road again at 21, 22, and I hated it. And I was like, who likes this? Who is it for? Don't want it. And then I read it again at like 24, 25, and I was like, I don't like this book. I, and it's, and I, and it's so funny. I put it down before I even finished it. And I, and I read no country for old men. Okay. Uh, which was one of his other books. And I loved it. I oh, thought it was okay. great. I was like, wow. I was like, this is everything I've ever wanted. And then I went back to finish the road and I thought, this is terrible. I hate it. Fascinating. What may I ask what kept you picking it up over and over? Just were you just determined this is a Pulitzer winner. I need to like it. So the first time I read it, I thought I, a lot of books I'd read, I was, I wasn't smart enough, really. Like I I just, I was not smart enough. I was not mature enough. I was not Mm. well read enough to really know. And I knew that I knew that. And then at 22, 23. That's incredibly self-aware. I just do want to commend you. That's incredibly (laughs) self-aware. I do. I listen, if if I'm nothing, if not self-aware, that's not true. Um, (laughs) But, but I, um, but then it's so funny because then the second time I read it, I think, because Tyler loved the book. And I thought, well, if he likes it, then I, something's got to uh-huh. be good, uh, which that's not always true. He's got bad taste sometimes. It's fine. <laughs> um, but then but then the third time I read it was because I'd met Lauren Groff and Lauren Groff had mentioned at one point that if she doesn't like a book, sometimes it's just because she's not reading it at the right time or in the right mm-hmm. headspace or that she hasn't, she has not developed the toolkit that she needs to appreciate it. And, okay. and so I thought, I was like, well, Lauren Groff, so she's right. <laughs> and and yeah, so it's it's been very funny to like to have because because my experience this time was so completely different. But but yeah, so my first three times I literally hated this book and just hate read it the entire way through. Fascinating. Okay, which is why I think when we were recording less, I don't know if it was on air or not, but at some point you looked at me and we were talking through some other award winning books, and mm-hmm. the road came up, and I think you kind of suggested it in part because I think you thought this will be interesting. I hate this. Yeah. You've never, I have never read it. So, so my experience is I have seen the film adaptation of No Country for Old Men. And that okay. is, it. like, <laughs> yeah. um, my brother, who is very well read, but in a very different way. So he reads a lot of nonfiction, a lot mm-hmm. of nonfiction. Um, and he loves Cormac McCarthy. And, I don't know today what his favorite book is, but at one point in time, The Road was his favorite book. And he had begged me to read this. And my brother and I are pretty close. And I really try hard to read the books that the people I love recommend to me. But Chet and Jordan frequently recommend books that I'm like, ooh, I got to read other things that I can sell, folks. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I got to read books that I can sell. And so I just put off reading this. And when you mentioned it, I thought, great. Like, I can I can tell my brother I finally read his favorite book. And I can read this thing that, honestly, I really did not have much interest in, except for my brother's connection to it. Mm-hmm. And I knew vaguely that it was like post-apocalyptic. That, but that's honestly about all I knew. I've never, yeah. I've not seen the film adaptation. So I'd never read this. Mm-hmm. I picked it up 
I started it, and you had texted last week because we thought we were recording last week. And I hope that it was a relief to you and not a burden to you this week. (laughs) But you had texted me like, okay, I've started the road or something. And I thought, oh dear, like I have not. And so I started it on Monday. And maybe it's because of my current headspace or the moment at which I chose to sit down and read it. But this book, I mean, I don't want to spoil our conversation. This book could be one of my favorite books of all time. Like mm-hmm. it, it's in the it's in the stack for me. It's in the stack. Yeah. Um, it's up there in my mind with Gilead, with um, yeah, with these books, with these books that really mean a lot to me. And again, I think it could be partly uh, to to credit Lauren Groff. It could be partly because of where I was when I read it. I was telling Olivia that at the very beginning of the pandemic, like March or April, we had a customer who called, local customer, who called and said, I want every post-apocalyptic book you have in the store. And we compiled like a stack for her. And I remember distinctly like looking at Olivia and going, this is someone that I cannot, I don't understand this. Because Mm -hmm. at that time in the pandemic, I was like barely reading at all. Um, And what I was reading was like young adults, feel good fiction. It's all my brain could handle. So the idea of reading these heavy, dark novels was not foreign to me just in general. I have read dark things before, but at that moment in time, I thought, who can mentally handle this right now? Right. The irony being that I have had a rough few months. Like there's just been a lot going on. And I looked at Jordan with tears in my eyes on Monday night and was like, I think I love the road because it is hard and dark. And it is nice to remember that there are harder and darker things. Yeah. And I think I needed this book. I was in a book slump. Uh, we haven't talked in a minute, but I, I have not been able to finish very much recently. Mm-hmm. And I devoured this and I'm, I'm so relieved you loved it because I could not remember, but I thought your feelings about it were complicated. (laughs) And I was like, how are we going to talk about this? Because I loved it so much. Why do you think your reading changed? Why do you think your thoughts about it changed? I think a lot of things. Uh, one is that, you know, I, I did not grow up with a dad. I don't really understand like father Mm -hmm. son relationship, father child relationships in general a lot. And that's actually the reason why that's the reason why my friend Bernie loves this book. That's the reason why Tyler loves the book. And, and it's funny because I, and so I never really had that connection, but you know, you and I have talked about this, but I am at a point now where like, I, I do want kids and I'm starting to have that baby fever mm-hmm. kind of feeling. And so for the first yeah. time in reading this book, I did not picture myself as the child. I pictured myself as the father. Uh, and that was a big, oh. that was a big difference in it. And, and that was yes. actually... I, and it makes a big difference in who you who you decide to you know yes uh, attach yourself to right yeah absolutely yeah and and it also it's so, and I also think in some weird way uh, there's a book that came out this year Clean Air by Sarah Blake and it's about a mother who um, has a young child during a, like kind of a post apocalyptic type thing and mm-hmm. it, and they're similar in some smaller ways and I think that that book also kind of helped me just because that book was like kind of the first thing that kind of put it in my mind, like uh, mm. this idea of, of, of being, being the parent. And then, and then the road yeah. kind of cemented that. And so that, and I also, I really just think that for the first time, like having that and then slowing down and thinking, I really want to take my time with this because I want to see what do other people love about this book? 
And I want to, and I wanted to give it my time because whenever I talk with you, I want to make sure that I'm like really putting forth more effort. And, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. And so I ended up like, I mean, about 50 pages in, I was like, I was a little bit teary eyed and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a truly beautiful book. And I cannot believe that this <laughs> is the first time I'm seeing it. Yeah. Okay. I, I also want to acknowledge a bias that I think I went into this book having, and I think I just assumed and I don't, I don't like saying this because I really like to give everything a fair shake, but I kind of felt like old white man book, like yeah. a little bit, <laughs> a little bit with that negative lens, which is funny because I like a lot of books written by old white men. I like, <laughs> yeah. I like crossing to safety. Um, but for some reason, I think I thought, oh, the text is going to be sparse. Uh-huh. Like I'm probably not going to write this, uh, like this writing style. This book is incredibly beautiful. Like the, the, yeah. the writing in this book is stunning. I don't know what I was expecting, but it was not this. It, it I think the comparison I immediately, I thought, oh, well, this is like Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Like, yeah, the, the, it is. This book is beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, I, I've been reading a lot of books by poets recently. And something I notice is that poets have such, such a more deeply embedded understanding of of structure in a way that like benefits and, and creates more like poetry just in, in the how paragraphs can form, you know, and, and how, mm-hmm. and how you can deliver information in specific ways. And I think that in a way this book does kind of read as this, like, it kind of feels like a, like one of those like classic, like, like epic yes. poems. Yes, absolutely. Epic. It does. It like feels like the Odyssey or something like that. Yeah. Um, will you, do what you have done so many times and give us a quick synopsis of this book. I'll try. It's yeah, it is a post-apocalyptic drama following a father and son as they, I guess, search for something, some type of just, just try to exist mm-hmm. in this world, making their way down, uh, down. I can't remember. Oh gosh, this is so bad. I, I get so caught up in things. I can't remember anything. They're headed South. That's They're headed what we south. Know. Yes. Yes. They're headed and that's, south. Yeah. That's kind of all we really, I think that's all you really need to know going into it. Yes. Well, because, and really Cormac McCarthy doesn't give you much. That's right. one of the things I was struck by. So you open this book and it's almost like opening, it's almost like I'm picturing a movie that opens in the middle of a conversation yes. or something like that. Like you open this book and the action has already started. Like mm-hmm. you already, and you immediately, it's to Cormac McCarthy's credit, you immediately know right where you are. Yeah. Um, even though you're kind of being thrown into what feels like the middle of mm-hmm. their journey. And the pacing and the storytelling, I think is, God, I think is nearly perfect. Yeah. Where you kind of are thrown into this situation, but you immediately get your bearings. You are not mm-hmm. really lost. You immediately understand, oh, this is a story of survival. Yeah. You, d- you don't know, you never know the name of the man and his child. Mm-hmm. Um. But you can figure out, I think you can kind of figure out the age of the boy. You can kind of figure out the circumstances all within just a few pages and really sparse details. Like I think at one point I thought, oh, we're in Tennessee because there was Mm -hmm. a reference to um, Rock City. Mm. And so I was like, oh, we're in Tennessee. And then at some point they're at the coast, but you don't know where. Um, But I assumed, oh, it must be the Carolinas because it's cold. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and it's never (laughs) never cold. Although that's the other thing that I think sets it apart from some other post-apocalyptic fiction. You never really know what the earth is like. Right. Like you don't really know the inciting incident. So mm-hmm. the water is cold. And there was part of me that thought, oh, well, this must mean they're in the Carolinas. And then I'm like, well, I don't know. What does climate change look like? What does yeah. 
the world is covered in ash. What happened? Like, and you never are given those answers. And it never bothered me that I was never given those answers. That was not, that was not the point. Um, Right. I do want to talk about the structure Mm -hmm. a little bit aside from um, opening in the middle. I immediately, so I started this book. I had a reading lunch. Do you ever do this? I took myself out to lunch at Hopkins Eatery, which is my favorite mm-hmm. restaurant. And I like plopped myself down in my little table and I read by my, it's the most delightful. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Delightful thing. So anyway, so I started reading it. And at first, page one or two, I thought, ooh, no apostrophes. Interesting. And then I was like, now, wait a minute, there are some apostrophes. And then I was like, wish I was in an English class because why does he use some apostrophes and not other apostrophes? Don't and doesn't don't have apostrophes, but all the personal pronouns have apostrophes. Anyway, my brain like got stuck on that for a second. And then I thought, ooh, no quotation marks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like got to mentally adjust. No quotation marks. Oh, no chapter breaks. All of these things, which normally, if you were to ask me, Annie, do you need quotation marks when you read? Yes, absolutely. Like there are things that I think we think as readers we need. Mm-hmm. And I and I hear it all the time, right? When I sell books, like people are like, "Oh, I need short chapters." Olivia and I say it on the podcast all the time. Yeah. We like short chapters. Um, we need quotation marks. We need appropriate punctuation. I think mm-hmm. I even pitched a fit several years ago about that book, Ducks at Newburyport or whatever the name of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ducks Newburyport. And I was kind of rude about it, honestly, because I was like, oh, no, how dare, how dare they? Like, And now I'm like, mm, maybe I should try that because I had not a single problem with no quotation marks, no chapter breaks. Yeah. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad I wasn't so stubborn as to think no, I'm not going to read this because there's no chapter breaks. Well, I always think back to, there's two different people who I love uh, who ha- did not don't use quotation marks in some of their books. Alexander Chi, whenever I talked to him at one point about uh, quotation marks, and I think he's even said this before in another interview, but um, he did not use quotation marks for Edinburgh. And he said the reason why was because it always felt like people like shouting on it. It, it, just, it felt like he wanted it to be more quiet. In the oh, text. Interesting. Okay. And so it's like he's using that to kind of be it's it's so it does feel really integrated to the text in that way. And um mm. and it and it feels and it feels it, it feels like part of like and so in a way it kind of it, I don't know, there's something more intimate in how we how it the, it actually works with the text. And mm-hmm. I also think about how Mary Carr says that after her first book, she stopped using quotation marks because she didn't want people to think that she was like saying, This is exactly what was said. It's just uh-huh. This is the gist of the conversation. Oh, oh God, I love her. I need to read more. I need to read more. I know. I tell you, yeah. 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 Oh, I okay. I love the Alexander Chi quote because to me, the lack of quotation marks in this book makes the dialogue feel on the one hand extremely intimate. Like you feel like a lot of the book, like you're leaning in, like Mm -hmm. you're you're leaning in to hear what they're saying more. And it also and look, I love, I'm a grammar queen. Like I love, I love American grammar. I mm-hmm. loved diagramming sentences as a child. Super weird thing to say. But it almost feels like the dialogue is more conversational. Like it's more rat-tat-tat. Like it, it, like it almost feels like the quotation marks break it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's not what real conversations are like. Right. And between a father and son, uh, a son who's asking a lot of questions, and maybe sometimes that feels pestering, or maybe sometimes it feels like, oh, I can't keep up with all mm-hmm. the things my son is asking. All of that back and forth 
felt so much more real. Yeah. Because of the lack of quotation marks, which sounds strange, but that's how I felt. No, yeah. What I think a lot about too, you know, I think um I think when you when you have children, I almost feel like um and this is not like a this is not like a slight towards children, but but I feel like sometimes like their conversations, it feels like um an interruption or an intrusion. Mm. And especially when you when your whole thing is like survival, like I, I'm just thinking yes. about survival. And it's like, it's like, and you want to be able to, you want to say like, please shut up. I am trying so hard right now to keep us alive, but you can't yeah. do that. Cause you have to remain, you have to remain like tender hearted towards your Parental, children. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, and, and give them the love they need and the gentleness. And so I do feel like in a way the dialogue does feel like it, it does feel like it's like an interruption in, in the, mm. you know, in the actual story, but in a way that feels authentic to the reality of what, how children are. So speaking of children, we never learn the boy's name. We never learn mm-hmm. the man's name. But I became <laughs> so attached to these, so attached to these characters. I felt everything they felt. Mm-hmm. There were moments in this book where I felt like, ooh, Annie, breeze. Like, <laughs> like I literally yeah. felt myself mm-hmm. holding my breath. I was so deeply concerned for them. I was so concerned for their safety. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes real skill um, because I because I also believe naming is important and the yeah. act of naming and, and giving people or characters names I, f- I find to be really important. But I think it takes serious writerly skill to mm-hmm. be able to create an attachment or an intimacy with characters who are never named. Yeah. And that was something that I kept... There's only one character named ever in the book, and we learn mm-hmm. later that it's not even his real, it's not even his real name. But I thought, I feel like I know these characters and I care so much for them, but I know almost nothing about them. We, mm-hmm. We're given throughout the book little snippets. We know the man was married. We know the woman was pregnant, um, or if not married, that they were partners and that she was pregnant right as though it felt like the world was perhaps on the cusp of changing and ending. And we know that she leaves, but then I'm like, does she leave or does she commit suicide? Well, that's the thing because like he's taught the the son is talking and says, I want to go where mom, where mom went. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then he like the dad's thing on it. He's like, you mean like you want to die? And the, yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay, yes. all yes. right. It goes back to that, just like you said, um, children can occasionally feel like an interruption. Children are also, I mean, I tell Jordan all the time, I, in my line of work, I prefer children so much to mm-hmm. adults because they just tell it like it is. They they do not hold back. They are brutally honest. Mm-hmm. And this dad, the whole time you can tell, is trying to maintain some modicum of protection and superiority. And yet he and his child are both nothing more than survivors. There is no, there is no more expertise. The dad is no more an expert at survival than his son. And you can just see this child just putting so matter of factly and only occasionally, and it's very humorous to me when he does only occasionally do either of them speak in like metaphor or idiom. Mm-hmm. And the dad always calls attention to it. Like, where did you hear that? And the son is like, oh, I heard it from you. But mostly what they are sharing back and forth is so blunt. And so, yeah, yeah I want to die. Yeah, like it's so things you would not expect to hear out of a child. Right. Um, and so they kind of jar you and bring you into the reality of this world that Cormac mm-hmm. McCarthy 
has created. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because I've, I've been thinking a lot about how, um, you know, there, there's like a, a criticism that, that's kind of been going around for the past couple of years about how like all like fiction is so homogenous now, always kind of the same. And it's so funny because I think that um, I think a lot about how something I've noticed recently, because so like I, I worked with an editor at one point on one of my like on I sent some of my pages from something and and he said he was like, you know, he's like, he's like, these are great sentences, but you do too much, you do too much handholding. He's like, you ex- over explain things. And I thought a lot about this when reading The Road is that he has so much respect for the reader because he never like extends the branch too far. It's like, yes, you know, it's just like, it's, it's just what you need to like get from one to the next. And you can, if, as a reader, I caught myself, I'm a fast reader. I think you are too. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that's to my detriment, right? Um, it helps in certain ways in my line of work, but I found myself having to stop reread certain sections of dialogue, reread. There were a couple of paragraphs where I thought that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever read, but I've got to go read it. And I'd read it three times. Yeah. And I like that Cormac McCarthy expects more out of me as a reader. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? He yeah. like, it feels like he expects me to engage with this text as a reader, mm-hmm. which I don't know. I don't, I I don't read a lot of books like that right now. Um, I read some. I mean, we talk about them. We talk about them here. And I'm not going, I'm absolutely 100% not going to be down on modern literature, of which this is, by the way. This was published in 2006. I don't, I think I went into this thinking this was from the 70s, which is just my own naivete and Mm -hmm. ignorance. But yeah, this is from 2006. But it reads, like you said, like like a classic epic poem or something like that. One of the unexpected things that I did not anticipate finding so beautiful in this book, and I know you know what I'm going to say, and I don't like to, I'm sorry for this gross metaphor, beat a dead horse, but I just love books that talk about morality and goodness and Mm -hmm. faith, and I did not expect this out of this book, (laughs) and then there it was, and I just thought, in particular, the son's, the child's obsession with goodness and over and over again, after certain situations or certain encounters that he and his dad experience, he I can I can like picture him tugging on his dad's yeah. shirt tails and saying, Are we still the good guys? Are we the mm-hmm. good guys? And I like at first I thought, oh yes, how childlike, how innocent. And then the more I read, like almost every time he asked that, I started to cry. Like yeah. are we the good guys please tell me we're still good even though we're doing things that even this child who had never lived in a air quote normal world Mm -hmm. this child knew there were certain rules we were supposed to abide by and they weren't abiding by them anymore and so I just kind of wanted to talk about this concept of goodness in the book and this boy's obsession with being good and wondering what does good look like in a post-apocalyptic world, like not to get too deep, but Jordan and I like to talk about is humanity good or is humanity like this is a conversation we have in our home. And that's what I kept thinking. Like, as I read this book, like what is good? What lasts? What does goodness look like when you're just trying to survive? It's so funny though. Cause I, I also think that you and I talk about this a lot, this idea of, I, I always think back to that, that, uh, this line from the a song from into the woods where it says, um, nice isn't always good and good isn't always nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I do think there is a difference between, and I think a lot about kindness and I think about like, um, mm. like you can be kind and you can be nice and those can be two different things. Yes, absolutely. And, 
And it's funny because, because you know, because I'm because people call like uh some, one the other day like a coworker like somebody called me kind and she's like I wouldn't call you kind, and I thought <laughs> I, I was like well so. you know but I thought I was I was like well I wouldn't call me nice um mm-hmm. but I would hope to be kind but I think that we're we're all like hopefully I, I don't know I think that you know we should all strive for kindness mm-hmm. but I do think I think that you know if you're living in a post apocalyptic world where where is that line between sacrificing yourself and, mm-hmm. and be, you know I mean like, that, that's a tough line to kind of have yeah the because they're experiencing and that that is one of the things i found so interesting so like there's this moment on the road where the little boy thinks he sees another little boy mm-hmm. and he is i mean just completely uh, you know getting his father's attention like what can we do i think i saw a little boy like we need to take him we need to take care of him and of course the father is like absolutely not like we are a two person show so that mm-hmm. we can get so that we can get to the south like so that we can get down to where it's warmer we don't even know what he's looking for down there but like we just know they're on this road and this dad has like a one track mind and over and over again the boy is struck by this older man that he sees in the road, like we need to give him food. We need to. And, and honestly, I think there are modern examples of that where children are paying a lot more attention than grownups yeah. <laughs> about, uh, about people who live among us. And I, I don't know. I was just struck by that. And then there's also multiple points in the novel where I can think of two specifically where all of a sudden you immediately know what the bad guys look like. Mm-hmm. And you immediately know that even in a post-apocalyptic landscape, the enslavement of other people is wrong. Mm-hmm. We as humanity reverted back to it. I mean, I found that I found that really striking in a few post-apocalyptic novels I've read recently. Um, but we see a group walking along the road with people in chains that they have chained. Mm-hmm. And then we see a really probably, uh, probably in my mind, one of, there's a couple of really gruesome things, but in one of the more gruesome scenes in the book, there are people chained in a basement mm-hmm. to be eaten by other people. Yeah. And the boy, they leave them. The And the boy mm-hmm. is traumatized, like absolutely traumatized. Like we're leaving them. We could have saved them. But then he even realizes we had to leave so we wouldn't get eaten. Right, dad? Like you can hear, you can just hear the child logic <sighs> making sense of it, but also trying to like figure out, okay, what is good? What is bad? Where do we categorize these things? Mm-hmm. What makes us the good guys? It's such an innocent question and the more, the more, <laughs> um, whatever the opposite of innocence, the more bad that happens to these people, the more bad that happens to them, the less innocent that question feels. The more yeah. it feels like, oh no, are we good? Are we bad? Mm-hmm. And these are questions I feel like many of us are asking all the time, right? Am I good? Yeah. Am I bad? Yeah. I was really struck by it. It's funny to think about like reading this book literally three previous times and not finding it. Like I, I, I literally could have cared less at every other point. <laughs> and then like, when I was reading it this time, I really was, there, there were so many times where I was like openly weeping. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. this is devastating and so tender. And so, just so I, like there's, there's such a, such a beauty in such, such a, such a, such a beautiful way that like these, this, uh, this father and son love each other. Mm-hmm. Um, in a really compl- it's like so complicated too because it's like I think a lot about that uh, room Emma Donahue yes 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 
And it's kind of got that same where I, I always think about that what that scene where you know she's just trying to like get him to understand like mm-hmm. that that they're in room for the first time and, yes. and he's so resistant. And and I think that you know in a way you know but it's because like when you're a kid you don't really you just know what you know. Right. And, and you know and what so, you've been told and what you've experienced, which is right. so little. And I think it says yeah. a lot. I think it says a lot about about what because this this kid has clearly been taught what is good. So it's it's clear that mm-hmm. his father wanted him to be a good person. Mm-hmm. And now his father is having to ask himself, like, am I going to go against everything that I believe in and that I've taught my child? Yeah. To save him. Like, yeah. yeah. Which okay again. We try to mostly be spoiler free. I am. We are gonna. I am gonna talk about the end of the road. So I don't know what to tell you. Can fast forward a few. Wait. Can skip. This is not about. I don't think this is like towards the end. End, but like there's the. I cannot remember where it's at. But like the baby. Oh, th- that is the other brutal part. That part. I'm not gonna like. I, I, I had completely forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. I literally gasped out loud and was like, and I like was looking around for like another witness to this. To this horror. Yeah. Okay. Actually, before we talk about the end, that's a good point because, okay, that image is horrifying. Mm -hmm. The people chained in this basement of this home, they're being starved and they're going to be eaten, whatever is horrifying. I pictured, well, I pictured it, right? You picture it. It's very visceral writing. But what I was struck by and what I find interesting is those images will undoubtedly remain with me. Like, they're a brutal, gruesome parts of this book. But you, I think, put it pretty perfectly. It's a tender book. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't finish this book thinking, whew, that was brutal. Even though right. it was. Like, there are that, yeah, the, oh, God, the image of that baby is horrific. Mm-hmm. But the horror of this book is not what remains right. for me. What mm-hmm. remains is the beauty with which Cormac McCarthy writes mm-hmm. and then the tenderness of the father-son relationship. Like, yes. Th- so that is really striking to me. There is violence in this book. There are striking, horrible images of, of brutality, but that's not what I left most impacted by. Mm-hmm. Well, and I do think, I think we'll talk about it in a second, but you know, I do think that how he chooses to end this book mm-hmm. really like it, it, it I think it, it is why you can leave this, this world he's created with like all these horrors and still have, and still have that hope and still have that mm-hmm. possibility for, for love and, and kindness. Okay, so throughout the book, as we look toward the end, we really are led to understand the father has a pistol, and it has two bullets. It has three at the start of the book, and by the end, he's got two. And he doesn't want to use any more than he has to. And as you read, you realize and you know that that's so he can, if necessary, kill them both. Mm -hmm. And... God, I hope I don't cry while talking. I know, I know. <laughs> I hope I don't cry while talking about this book. Um, so this dad has been faced with this horrible decision of, I've got to save two bullets because if it comes down to it and I have to protect my son from scavengers, from rapists, from murderers, I will kill my son and myself. Mm-hmm. 
And that and that's like the plan the whole time. And you kind of, as a reader, get to realize that that's the plan. Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't know, probably 50 pages in, the father develops a cough. He yeah. starts coughing up blood. We know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. How does this end? Um, and so... And the boy, oh gosh, the boy's realization that no matter how much his father's trying to protect him, his father tries not to cough in front of him. His father tries to suppress his own bodily urges, mm-hmm. but the the son knows like he, he, and he, I think that's one of the things he's in terror of most is I think he knows my father is going to die. And they frequently talk about, do you know how to use the pistol? Right. Do you know what to do when I do this or when this happens to me? And then... At the end of the book, the father is on his deathbed. He is ill. He cannot move. He cannot travel any farther. And he can't do it. He can't. He looks at his son. He's like, here's the pistol. You have to keep going. Mm -hmm. You have the fire. We can't go through with the original plan. And I (laughs) got this act of love, which was what the original act was also going to be. He wasn't going to murder his son. Right. He he was going to preserve his son by by killing his son. That was the right. thought. And now, despite the bleakness of the world, he wants his son to keep going. I just <laughs> I just couldn't get over it. I thought it was one of the most beautiful. And despite the fact that I kind of knew where the father's ending was going to be, I could not have predicted this ending. Like I did I not. Know. I did not see this outcome. Well, like you said, like, you know, it's like the whole, like, the idea of, like, the good guys. hmm You know? Like, yeah. I, like, let me tell you, like, I, I I have, like, goosebumps all over now. <laughs> like, it is, it is deeply, and do you know what's interesting to think about, too, is that I can always, I can always tell whenever people were, ra- were raised in church, because <laughs> I always think about that story. What is that story? It's the, the man who, you know, he has to. Oh, he's, Abraham and Isaac. That's the father's son with the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking about that because I think about, because it's interesting to think about how something similar happens in beloved mm-hmm. spoiler alert for beloved, but you know, she does, she, Setha kills her infant daughter to protect her from enslavement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, and I think that, you know, we have this idea. It's so funny. Cause I think we have this idea of, I could never, I could never hurt my child, but like, mm-hmm. but the reality is, is that there are times where, that we're really hurting your like 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 harming your child is the one thing that is going to protect them from the mm. worst outcome. Yeah, and that's devastating to think about. Like I said, there were moments of breathlessness throughout the mm-hmm. book where you could feel the father's nervousness. Like anytime they encountered another being or another group of people, which so much of this book is just the son and the father, but every so often they encounter these these people, and there is just intense fear there because you know. There aren't many, you you are led to realize, like, there aren't many children running around. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world that diminishes children. And that even in a post-apocalyptic landscape, that is true. And children are worth nothing. And so he knows his son is at risk. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason, because I wasn't sure, you're not sure, there are a couple points in the novel, you're not sure how much more you can take, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's this really lovely little section where they discover an underground bunker. God bless all the preppers of the world. Like, 
<laughs> like they discover this underground bunker and it's full of food. And mm-hmm. it's almost like that scene in A Little Princess where yes. they, they open up the feast of food. And I loved that slight bit of hope in the book. Mm-hmm. Like they get to, he got to eat a biscuit and he got to drink a Coke and like all of these things, these like joyful things that we really kind of needed in the middle of this book. But I wasn't sure how he was going to end it because they meet very few people along the road mm-hmm. and very few people of the few people they meet, if no one, it, it, they really didn't meet anyone to, who appeared to be one of the good guys. Right. And so I thought, oh my gosh, this father has decided he cannot kill his son. He's letting his son, who clearly is quite young, we don't mm-hmm. know how old, but he feels quite young who's letting his son, commanding his son, take the gun and keep walking. And you know, you know how hard it's been to find food. You know how hard it's been to find shelter. And there's part of you that's like, what is this dad thinking? He mm-hmm. needs to stick to the original plan. But he can't. He can't do it. He thought he could. He did all the work. He thought he could prepare to do it. And there is mm-hmm. nothing that could prepare you to do such a horrific thing. And so he can't do it. And the relief when the boy encounters someone who is good, we're not given much. We're just given Mm -hmm. like a couple of lines. I was filled with such relief (laughs) because I just didn't know. They just had not encountered many good people. Right. It's quite different. I wanted to talk about this a little bit. It's quite different from Station Eleven. I felt like Station Eleven is a very, I think the two are comparable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Belong on a shelf together. But Station Eleven is all about what remains and the good that remains. And the road feels like, no, this is what it'd really be like. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) This is what it'd really be like. It'd be awful. And yet, there is still good. And there are still good. It feels less hopeful of a novel than Station Eleven, but but it's still there. Yeah. Um, And I was grateful for the way that he chose to end it. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. Okay. We ask this kind of at the end of every backlist book club episode. We've already mentioned a few. What are some other books? I mean, I think the post-apocalyptic genre is filled with with titles. But, like, what are some other books you would kind of put on a shelf or in a book flight with The Road? I would definitely do Clean Air because I do think that um, if you if you like the kind of dystopic dystopian type thing and you like the parent-child dynamic especially if you want something that is like a lot of these things, but is a lot lighter. I think mm-hmm. that's a good option. I think your, your uh, suggestion for station 11 is really good. I know there's a ton, but like, but those are, I would, if I was going to go to three, that would be the ones that I would. I think your suggestion of room is really spot oh, yeah. on. Um, I also thought, did you ever read the end we start from by Megan Hunter? No, it's a little, it's a little yeah. novella. Oh yes. Yes. I did. Yes. yes. Uh, about a mother and son. Yes. And I thought that was a really beautiful, compact little book. Mm-hmm. I thought about Ruman Alam's Leave the World Behind. <gasps> yeah. And then I also thought there's a new book. I think it came out just a couple weeks ago. It came out November 8th, I want to say. The Revivalists by Christopher Hood. This uh-huh. is a new book. And it's a it's a post-apocalyptic novel that I really, really liked. It feels very modern um, and very relevant. He's a lot more clear about how the end of the world came. It's a pandemic. like mm-hmm. So he gives a lot more, perhaps, details than Cormac McCarthy does. But it's a road trip novel, so it goes back to that kind of epic feel uh, mm-hmm. where this father and mother are traveling to go kind of rescue their daughter. And 
I loved it because, again, it fills you with a lot of questions of, is humanity good or evil? (laughs) Um, Who are we at our core? What will we do when the world ends? Like, what will it look like? What will people do? Um, And I found it to be, it it doesn't feel eerie. I think some readers might find it. So it feels like a very realistic portrayal of what might happen. So that's a a recent new release that I think would be good. Okay. Very quickly, I do want to talk about, did you like Backlist Book Club? Which books were your favorite of our readings this year? We read four, I want to say. And then you've been reading a ton of National Book Award finalists. Mm -hmm. I want to pretend we're taking an internet quiz. Which book awards are you? Are you a National Book Award? Are you a booker? Or are you a Pulitzer? Like, which one do you think most aligns with your reading tastes? Hmm. You know, it's so funny. I think for me, like the past like 10 years have really been like National Book Award centric for the most stuff. This year it was not, but for the, for like all the years prior to that, Mm -hmm. I loved all of the National Book books. I always think that they're just very much my taste, but my friend Bernie, he's very into the Booker Prize and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. I've been reading a lot of Booker books and I feel, I feel like I'm having an affair, but like, (laughs) but those books are so good that I'm like, oh, wait, are, is this, is this, are these the books that I like now? Oh, okay. Because you're, I would definitely, obviously partly because of your book project, but even right. before, right? You're the person on Instagram who, who <laughs> talks about the National Book Award and you get right. us all excited. And so I definitely affiliate you with the National Book Award. And I feel very similarly to you in that over the last few years, it felt like my reading tastes frequently aligned with National mm-hmm. Book Award, at least the long list, if not the short list, the long list. But after this year, I don't know if this, I would have to look at like a list, a full list, but every single one of these books was delightful to me. Like every one of these Pulitzer winners, I thought, yep, love this. Yep. Love this. And they were all quite different. I mean, Beloved and The Road have some similarities, Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, but less was very different. And Mm -hmm. I loved that. I loved my reading experience. And partly, yes, it's because I'm biased, but I really do love talking about books with you. Like that I think is part of these reading experiences. But I'm starting to wonder if I'm a Pulitzer person. Oh, I think you are because I know also that several of like, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird was a Pulitzer winner. Gilead, Mm. um, The Nickel Boys. Oh, that's right. I'm trying to think. Yeah, less. Uh, the Underground Railroad. Oh. You liked All the Light We Cannot See, right? Loved it. Yeah, The Goldfinch. <gasps> I'm a Pulitzer. Yeah, like you are. You are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so relieved to know this um, because these books were such a joy to me this year. And I don't know. I just, I don't know. Maybe I just need, to, maybe I need to take on a book project like you and read Pulitzer winners. I just loved this. Well, you know, I, okay, you should wait because after I do finish this National Book Award project, my next project mm-hmm. is the Pulitzer. Wouldn't it be fun? You know how our Eric Thomas does those wonderful newsletters? What if we did like a joint newsletter that was like reading the Pulitzer winners and like debating? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. doing like an oral history, like back and forth, like just yeah. typing it all up. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, I would love that. Oh, okay. I would love that too. I think it'd be really fun. 
Okay, let's think about that. Okay. I really like that idea. I think that could be fun. Hunter, this is our last backlist book of the year. I do think we are talking about what we want to do in 2023, how we want to incorporate backlist book club into the podcast. I know we talked about Booker. Uh-huh. Clearly, I would love to do Pulitzer, but I'd also love to do National Book Award. I'm, I think we should keep doing backlist book club. It brings a lot of joy to my life. Same. This week, what I'm reading is brought to you by Visit Thomasville. Everyone loves the holiday season in Thomasville, Georgia. When it's time to get away, our small town has exactly what you need. Find romance, explore historical sites, dine out, shop, and make time to relax and unwind. There's no better holiday getaway than a Thomasville getaway. Friends, now is the time to start planning your trip to Thomasville for Christmas. Victorian Christmas in Thomasville is one of the highlights for all of us. It's December 8th and 9th in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. It looks like a Hallmark movie. You heard my mom last week compare downtown Thomasville at the holiday season to the inside of a snow globe, which is entirely accurate, minus the snow. And Victorian Christmas is a huge part of this. This is one of our biggest festivals of the year. You've heard me talk about Rose Show, which is a big festival we host every year in April. Victorian Christmas is the equivalent of Rose Show, but it takes place during the holiday season. There are events, food vendors, Santa Claus, live reindeer, all kinds of things in downtown. And a lot of our shops and restaurants stay open late. We, the bookshelf, stay open until nine on Victorian Christmas nights. We have our Polar Express story time, and we are not the only store that does something really special for Victorian Christmas. I also want to encourage you If you start to feel like, oh no, I've waited too late, hotels have booked up, Airbnbs are no longer available, December 8th and 9th are totally full, what am I going to do? Sip and Shops in Thomasville are a great option where we are staying late, open late on Fridays and Saturdays in December. And by we, I mean most of our downtown merchants. And so if you want the feel of Victorian Christmas, but you just can't make it in time, I would encourage you to check out our Sip and Shops on the Friday and Saturday nights in December. We would love to see you there. A lot of folks talk about Sunday hours and how we have a very quaint small downtown that is often closed on Sundays, but in December, that is not the case. In Sundays in December, most of our downtown shops and many of our restaurants are open. So any weekend in December would make a great holiday weekend for your visit to Thomasville. This week, I'm reading, have I told you this already, by Lauren Graham. Hunter, what are you reading? I'm reading The Hero of This Book by Elizabeth McCracken. Thank you again to our sponsor, Visit Thomasville. To find out more about how you can visit Thomasville, go to thomasvillega.com. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Donna Hetchler, Cammie Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Kate Johnston Tucker. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see write a review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, you can support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support, Front Porch Friends, Book Club Companions, and Bookshelf Benefactors. 
Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.